0: Good morning, I'm Reese Thibault with The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202. It's Friday, July 17th. James is out, but I'm here again with the day's top headlines. Here are the three stories that should be on your radar. First up, hackers linked to a Russian intelligence service are trying to steal information from researchers working to produce coronavirus vaccines in the United States, Britain, and Canada, security officials in those countries said. My colleagues from around the world, Ellen Nakashima, William Booth, and Amanda Coletta have the story. The hackers, who belong to a unit variously known as APT29, the Dukes, or Cozy Bear, are targeting vaccine research and development organizations in the three countries, the official said in a joint statement. The unit is one of the two Russian spy groups that penetrated the Democratic Party computers in the lead-up to the 2016 presidential election. The announcement comes as reported coronavirus cases globally have topped 13.5 million, deaths have surpassed the half-million mark, and the stakes for being the first to develop a vaccine are high. Officials did not divulge whether any of the Russian efforts have been successful, but, they said, the intention is clear. Moscow has denied the allegations, but U.S. officials say a desire for global prestige and influence is driving the nation's actions. Canada's communication security establishment, the Canadian equivalent of the NSA, said the attacks serve to hinder response efforts at a time when healthcare experts and medical researchers need every available resource to help fight the pandemic. A CSE bulletin said that a Canadian biopharmaceutical company was breached by a foreign actor in mid-April almost certainly attempting to steal its intellectual property. The agency also said in May that it was investigating possible security breaches at Canadian organizations working on coronavirus-related research, but did not indicate whether the alleged breaches were state-sponsored. The joint announcement comes two months after the FBI and Department of Homeland Security warned that China was also targeting COVID-19 research, and that healthcare, pharmaceutical, and research labs should take steps to protect their systems. And next up, a story from reporters Griff Witt and Rachel Weiner. In California, doctors are shipping patients as many as 600 miles away because they can't be cared for locally. In Florida, nurses are pouring in from out of state to reinforce exhausted medical workers. And in Texas, mayors are demanding the right to shut down their cities to avoid overwhelming hospitals. In a nation gripped by a record number of coronavirus cases, with severe outbreaks across multiple states and regions, medical systems are increasingly showing the strain, with shortages of critically needed personnel, equipment, and testing, and officials on Thursday said they are concerned that hospitals will soon hit a breaking point if the trajectory of ever-growing caseloads doesn't change. The peril was reflected in another grim set of data out of Florida, with the state reporting a record number of deaths, 156, and adding nearly 14,000 new cases, its second highest total to date. Across the state, nearly 9,000 people remain hospitalized for treatment of COVID-19. With patients flooding into emergency rooms, Miami Mayor Francis Suarez said the city's hospitals were at 95% capacity. The situation in Florida on Thursday was replicated, at least in part, across a broad swath of the country. Particularly in the South and the West, caseloads have grown exponentially in recent weeks, as economies have reopened following the spring shutdown. In California... The worst effects were being felt in the southern part of the state, where hospitals have been inundated. In Imperial County, along the Mexican border, doctors have been so overwhelmed by the demand for care that they have begun sending patients as far away as Sacramento, a nine-hour drive to the north. With medical staff in especially short supply, Defense Department teams began deploying to California hospitals this week to bolster the response. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, meanwhile, requested that FEMA send 1,500 nurses. Across Texas, mayors of some of the state's biggest cities, including Houston and Austin, are so worried about staffing needs at local hospitals that they have asked for the authority to reimpose stay-at-home orders. And our last story comes from my colleagues Elise Viebeck and Michelle Yeehee-Lee. More than 18,500 Floridians' ballots were not counted during the March presidential primary, after many arrived by mail after the deadline. In Nevada, about 6,700 ballots were rejected in June because election officials could not verify voters' signatures. And during Pennsylvania's primary last month, Only state and court orders prevented tens of thousands of late-return ballots from being disqualified. As a resurgence in coronavirus cases portends another possible flood of absentee voting this fall, the issue of rejected ballots has emerged as a serious concern around the country, including in presidential battleground states and those with races that will decide control of the House and the Senate. While the number of rejected ballots in Florida and Nevada represents a fraction of those cast in their primaries, the unprecedented shift toward absentee voting during the coronavirus pandemic could make such margins potentially significant in the fall. In 2016, roughly 80,000 votes in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin helped Donald Trump win the White House. Voting rights advocates warned that the rejection of ballots because of mail delays signature match problems, and errors in completing and sealing the forms could end up disenfranchising hundreds of thousands of people. It could also fuel doubts about the integrity of the 2020 vote, which Trump has already claimed, without evidence, will be the quote, greatest rigged election in history. The growing risk has party officials and activists on high alert raising the stakes for dozens of ongoing legal battles over absentee voting rules and placing additional pressure on election officials whose staffs and budgets are already stretched thin by the demands of administering the votes during a pandemic. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, July 17th. Thank you for listening, stay safe, and have a good weekend.